get real comfortable before I start making you uncomfortable. Go ahead. Man, I'm, I'm just excited today. I'm fired up. It's been a great couple of weeks. We've had so many people here volunteering their time and their efforts to make this, to make this vision come to life. Uh, we, I, I'm spiritually kind of excited and, and, and rested and all those types of things today. I'm physically pretty tired because Truett made us take 60 students to Conway last night. We got home way past my bedtime, so I'm worn out today, but yeah, you bet, buddy. No, it was a, we had a great time. We took uh, 60 students to Conway last night and had a good time and drove home in a torrential downpour, and it was great. It really was, it really was great. Um, I feel all out, of, all out of sorts. Our TV went out right, like, seriously, two and a half minutes before the start, service started, so it's got me kind of bum-fuzzled. I'm kind of aggravated, actually. I hate it when stuff like that happens, so... Great job, you guys up here singing with no words. Y'all did great. <laughs> we appreciate you hanging in there. Uh, anyway, enough of that. So uh, we are looking at, we've been looking at rhythm, walking in step with the Holy Spirit. And, and last week we started with spiritual disciplines. We're continuing spiritual disciplines this week. We will continue them next week. Spiritual disciplines, the things that we need to do on a regular basis in order to discipline our bodies to be able to be more effectively spiritually that's what we're looking at and uh no no pleasantries no no long lead-ins or anything else because we've got a lot to go over so we're just going to dive into the scripture and then go through the last four of the fasting steps uh and then we'll get into the feasting steps next week so we're rereading the the verses in colossians chapter 1 verse 9 if you're there you can read along with me if you're not then it's on the screen it says this For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light and then skipping to verse 21 once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy faultless and blameless before him if indeed and there is the big if you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Amy, in all the ruckus of trying to fix that TV, we bumped the, the projector. If you'll bump it back this way just a little bit, that shouldn't bother me, but stuff like that. I, can, I know it's doing that behind me, and it's driving me crazy. Ta-da! Thank you. I'm probably the one that bumped it. Um, so, we want to walk pleasing to the Lord. That's been the whole point of this series, and the whole everything we've talked about since the beginning of the year. We want to have a walk, a life that is pleasing to God, and, a, and an effective Christian walk is what is pleasing to God. And, and in order to be effective, we have to practice. We have to do the things that it takes to be to, to be able to do what we're supposed to do. We can't just sit around and hope that we get better at, at following Jesus. We have to do the things that Jesus did. In other words, we we. We place our faith in Christ, and we give, we're given the gift of, gift of eternal life. But if you, if you look at Scripture, Jesus doesn't do a whole lot of do this, do that, do this, do that, do this, do that. He just does this, and he does that. 
we should do the same thing. We, we give the, we're given the gift of eternal life, but we forget that in order to follow Jesus, we actually are supposed to do what he did. In other words, it's a lifestyle, not just a, a one-time decision. So that's what we're talking about. That's why we keep harping on this. It, it, it's, a, it's an area that I feel like we overlook on a regular basis. So um, that's where we're at. Here's where we're going. So kind of like this. We looked at this quote last week. Under pressure, you don't rise to the occasion. You sink to the level of your training. Under pressure, you don't rise to the occasion. You sink to the level of your training. If we're training, disciplining in ourselves, what it takes to remember who Jesus is, to do what Jesus did, to love God with all our heart and all our soul, and want to love each other the same way. If we want to do that, we have to be practicing doing that, because in the moment, under pressure, if you haven't been, you won't most times. That's what we're looking at. So the spiritual disciplines of what we're calling fasting and feasting, things to avoid or do less, and things to do more often and as much as you can of. So disciplines the definition of that is training expected to produce a specific character or pattern of behavior that's what we're talking about training expected to produce a specific character or pattern of behavior so we want to do these things okay we want to fast from others we want to fast from noise we want to fast from food from excess from pleasure from recognition from security we want to feast on the word, on worship, on prayer, on service, on fellowship, on celebration, and on submission. We didn't look at the feast at all last week because we didn't have time. And when it comes to these, all of these, depending on what you are good at or what you aren't good at naturally, practice what you're not good at. Spend more time on what is hardest. Okay? I, I had to do this yesterday, or if I would I would have been, I would have been crossed up in my spirit standing in front of you yesterday. Or standing in front of you today. I had to do this yesterday so I could stand here in front of you today and not be a complete hypocrite. Because I told you I don't like silence. I like to be productive. Okay? I like to be productive. Now, I like silence away from people, but I like to have a podcast going or a video going. I like to be trying to learn something or figure something out. I, have to have, I like to have something going in my ears all the time. So yesterday, coming back from Russellville, I thought, you stood up there on Sunday and talked about fasting from noise and how much you struggle with it and how much you should practice what you struggle with. And here it is, almost a full week later, and you hadn't done it yet. So I turned everything off, and the whole way home, I was in silence. <laughs> and I was by myself, too, so I was like in silence. And it was, it was wonderful. No, for the first few minutes, it was excruciating. I'm not going to lie. It was, it was all I could do not to turn the radio back on or turn the podcast on that I was listening to. It was all I could do. But halfway into the ride, I felt myself, I literally felt myself go, oh, I could just feel myself relax. I've heard it said this way in two books I've read recently. Both books say this. When we practice these disciplines, it's like our spirit catches up to our body. And that happened to me on Saturday. I was like, oh, that's it. That's what happened. It's like my soul caught up to my body because we're always in such a rush to get around and do things. So your pastor struggles with these things, and, and so don't feel too bad that you probably aren't good at some of these either. If you're great at all of them, then you can get up here and be the pastor. I don't know what to tell you. <clears throat> so we talked about last week the first three, the first three of those disciplines. We, and it's not about the solitude. It's not about fasting from others. It's about being in the presence of God. It's not about... Fasting from noise and being in the silence, 
It's about hearing the voice of God. In order to do that, we have to be alone and not be taking anything in so that God can speak to us. And it's not about fasting from food for the sake of fasting from food. It's about receiving the provision of God. It's about being hungry for what matters the most and not just hungry for food. So, again, the spiritual disciplines are not the ends. They're not, they're, that's not the end. It's the practice to get to the end. You don't practice free throws, and that's what you do. You practice free throws, so you hit the free throws at the end of the game, so you win the game. It's the same concept. It doesn't change. We're just talking spiritual matters. So, when it comes to the fasting, and I know I'm going fast, and I'll catch my breath in a second, but we've got a lot to go over today. When it comes to fasting, we want to fast from others, which means we want to be alone. Okay? We want to fast from noise, so we want to be quiet and be in the quiet. We want to fast from food so that we learn to be more hungry for righteousness. We want to fast from excess. These last four are the ones we're going through today. We want to be frugal. We want to fast from pleasure. We want to be pure. We want to fast from recognition. We want to be unknown. And we want to fast from security. We want to be sacrificial. So it's not just the sake of forsaking something it's about what we want to become what we're trying to become it's the character that God's trying to develop in us let's finish with these last four fasting from excess fasting from excess so this is a fast from using money and goods at our disposal in ways that merely gratify our desires and our hunger for status for glamour or luxury that quote is from Dallas Willard this is what we're talking about when we talk about fasting from excess, fasting from excess, fasting from luxury, fasting from using the things that we have solely on ourselves, okay? Now, again, these are fasts, okay? These are fasts, and with the exception of one, these are things that means you want to do less of, not never. We're not saying we shouldn't ever enjoy what we've been given, okay? We'll get to the, to the, to the feasting ones, but celebration is a big part of who God is and what we're supposed to do, but it, we shouldn't always be celebrating we shouldn't always be feasting we should have some times where we fast from excess it reminds us of who's in charge and it reminds us of who's providing what what we have and it reminds us of the needs around us James 5 5 says this you man James he just hurts me sometimes you have lived luxuriously on the land and have indulged yourself you have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter He's talking to people that have gotten wealthy by oppressing people around them, by not paying them the wages they said they would, or by depressing their wages so significantly that it, it, it's, it's practically slave labor. And so James was not very happy with people that were doing that. Now, don't hear this and think, well, if I'm not wealthy, this doesn't apply to me. And don't hear this and think, well, if I am doing pretty well, then I'm doing something wrong. That's just not the case. That's not what we're talking about, okay? I'll, I'll get into that a little more, but that's, this is not a, if you have a lot, then you're wrong. It's just, if you have a lot, don't always indulge yourself in it. Use it for something better than that. Uh, so materialism, this is, a, this is from Tony Evans, materialism is when the physical and financial take precedence over the spiritual and the eternal. And that has a high price tag, Tony Evans says. Materialism is when the physical and financial take precedence over the spiritual and the eternal. So I don't know if you know this or not, but I didn't really know this until I was studying this out. I've never really heard of these, and no telling that I haven't because it's so contrary to our culture now. 
But did you, have you ever heard of sumptuary laws? These are things that used to exist before we were any of us were alive. Sumptuary laws. Any law designed to restrict excessive personal expenditures in the interest of preventing extravagance and luxury. Many ancient cultures, and not that ancient, honestly, but going back to ancient cultures, had sumptuary laws. For instance, the Spartans, the people that were in Laconia, they were forbidden to attend drinking entertainments and were also forbidden to own a house or furniture that was, that was the work of more elaborate implements than an axe and a saw. In other words, if you couldn't build it with an axe and a saw, you weren't allowed to have it in your house because it was too extravagant. That was in ancient Greece, in Sparta. In ancient Rome, a series of laws about this. 215 B.C., okay, they governed the materials that garments could be made, made with and the number of guests that you could have at entertainments, and they forbade the certain consumption of certain foods. The Opium Law of 215, no woman should possess more than half an ounce of gold or wear a dress of different colors or ride in the carriage in the city or within a mile of it except on occasions of public religious ceremonies because riding in a car or in a carriage to go 200 feet is obviously showing off is what is the idea here. The Fanian Law limited the sums to be spent on entertainments, provided amongst others that no fowl, my duck hunters, no fowl should be served but a single hen and then not fattened. So a skinny hen was the only thing you could have at your entertainments. Like, I don't, I don't know, that's, I like duck. The Didion Law, 143 BC, extended the to the whole of Italy, the provisions of the Fenian law and made the guests as well as the givers of entertainments at which the law was violated liable to penalties. So that spread it out to everyone. Charles V in France forbade the use of long pointed shoes, which was a fashion that was against the popes and the councils of the time. There's a reason for that. We don't have to go into that. In England, during the reign of Edward II, a proclamation was issued against the, quote, outrageous and excessive multitude of meats and dishes which the great men of the kingdom had used and still used in their castles. You're having too many parties and you're enjoying it too much. By law, these places, there's more in feudal Japan, I could go on and on and on. By law, they were doing things, they made laws that made you remember that it's not okay to just indulge yourself all the time. And they didn't have anything to do with following Jesus. It was just good common sense for a society, much less for someone that calls Jesus their Lord and Savior. And I'm not saying we should have those laws. They weren't followed very well. Shocker. In any of those societies. They weren't followed very well and they were hard to enforce. But they tried Hardman says this in his essay on the ideals of asceticism. It is an injury to society as well as an offense against God when men pamper their bodies with rich and dainty foods and seriously diminish their physical and mental powers by excessive use of intoxicants. Luxury in every form is economically bad. It is provocative to the poor who see it flaunted before them and it is morally degrading to those who indulge in it. The Christian who has the ability to live luxuriously but fasts from all extravagance and practices simplicity in his dress, his home, and his whole manner of life is therefore rendering good service to society. Which you might say then, well, where do you draw the line? <laughs> That's not, I don't get to determine that. That's the part where you get to wrestle that out with God. 
Right? We get to wrestle that stuff out with God. It's in your spirit. Let every man do as he is convinced and determined in his heart by the Holy Spirit to do what needs to be done. Like, so you're saying I can't have this car? No, I'm not saying anything. All I'm saying is consistently living in luxury will lead you to be numb to the hurt and pain in this world. And we're called to be there in those situations for those people. And sometimes those people end up being us that are hurting and need help and need the things that we don't have. So it's like this. Micah 6, 8 says this. Lord, the Lord has told you what is good. And that is what, and that, and I can't speak. And this is what he requires of you. To do what is right, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. How about I put that up there for you? To walk humbly with your God. We're called to do that. Do what is right, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. If we constantly live in luxury and excess, it is hard to do right and walk humbly. You can convince yourself that you're pretty good at being your own God if all you do is live in luxury. We practice the discipline of fasting from excess so that we have the character of humility. Real humility. We fast from excess. We want to be frugal. And this has to do with how we spend our money. Financial debt is spiritual bondage. I wish somebody would have picked me up when I was 20, young 20 years old and slapped me around and said, don't get into a bunch of debt, dummy. It's going to make your life ridiculously hard and you're going to have to make some really tough decisions to get out of it. Often we enter into debt buying things that are well above what is necessary. There's power, guys. There's power in living simply. And we all struggle to live simply. We have to practice fasting from excess and its lure and its temptation that it's going to fulfill us in some way. Dave Ramsey says this, and it's one of my favorite Dave Ramsey quotes that he has. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. That Puts it down pretty, pretty good, I think. There's power in living simply. It's kind of like the fisherman. Some of you may have heard this story, and I'll, and I'll tell the condensed version. It's kind of like the fisherman. There was a guy that was living you know, down in the Caribbean, and he was fishing. And basically, he got up in the mornings. He took his time. He went out and fished a little bit. He, he caught enough fish to feed his family, to, to make a little bit of money uh, uh, by selling the excess fish that he had so that he could have a little bit of a living, so they could provide for his, his, his wife. And, and, then, and then basically the rest of the afternoon, he just sat on the beach. Uh, maybe he went surfing sometimes. Sometimes he, you know, maybe sipped a glass of wine for, for an evening or something like that. He basically just, the majority of his day, sat back and relaxed and enjoyed what he had by living simply. And then this Wall Street dude shows up one day and he's like, dude, you're doing it all wrong. These fish, there is a huge market for this in the United States. You could catch this much fish and then sell it for this and then make it for this and then invest it to do this. And he's like, well, why would I do that? He said, well, then you could build, you could, you could buy a bigger boat and then you could catch more fish and then you could invest it like this and you could make more money. You could do that. And he said, well, why would I do that? He said, because if you, then if you got enough, you could, buy, you could buy enough for other teams to go out and catch fish for you. And then you could take, make this much money, you could invest that money, and then, and then you could do, and he said, well, why would I do that? He said, you know, end of the story, why would I do that? He said, because then you could sit back, relax on the beach. 
Maybe go surfing when you wanted to. Fish a little when you wanted to. Maybe sip a glass of wine with your supper and your wife and just enjoy yourself. <laughs> Nothing else needs to be said about that. It's pretty self-explanatory. So if we want to fast from excess, be careful of living in excess all the time. Fast from pleasure. This is where everybody starts squirming, especially this section of the sanctuary. We purposefully turn away from dwelling upon or engaging in sexual dimension, in the sexual dimension of our relationships to others, even our husbands and wives. Don't worry, dad, husbands, I will explain that in a second. Okay, quote from Dallas Willard there, not from Daniel. <clears throat> Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians. I've got on emphasis just a couple of the verses, but this is what he says at the beginning of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus... That as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. You hear that? How you ought to walk and please God. This thing keeps coming up. Just as you are doing. That you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. We want you to walk more pleasing to the Lord. And we want you to do it more and more. And you do that by following the instructions we have given you of how to live. Paul says. Verse 3. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification. He wants us to be holy. That's what that word means. And then he describes that. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. We are to control our body in holiness and honor. Not in the passions of the lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. That no one transgresses. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand. And solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. This is something that's talked about often in Scripture. Our behavior when it comes to sexual activity. And our mindset when it comes to sexual activity. Here's the thing, no one has ever had to be taught how to be physically attracted to someone. Think about that. Did anybody teach you that? Did anybody teach you how to be physically attracted to someone? I mean, I don't remember my dad ever going, okay, son, so here's what you do. So you look over there at that woman, and she's beautiful, and then, you know, like, you didn't have to teach me that, like, it's, Wow. Physical beauty strikes us. It's, it's in us. It's in there. It's part of who we are. It's how we were created. It's a gift from God. That's why it's there. But when abused, may have done more wrong and more hurt and more abuse in this world than maybe anything else. Nobody had to teach us to be physically attracted. On the contrary, it comes quite natural. And it's easy to linger there due to our natural draw towards that that's why we have to practice abstaining from pleasure this is the one that other than husband and wife the one that we need to abstain from period we need to fast from this period as hard as that may sound to some of you we need to fast from sexual desires in our minds in our hearts and with our bodies Here's the thing, sexuality, contrary to what the world is telling everyone these days, sexuality cannot be the driving force in an effective, disciplined, mature Christian. 
It just can't. We must put into practice the practice of disciplining our bodies unto the Lord. Okay. Paul continues. Now, in response to the matters you wrote about, this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It is good for a man not to have relations with a woman, but because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. It doesn't talk about that kind of stuff in the Bible. Yeah, it does. It's right there. One man, one woman, they should be together. That's it. Okay? And also, if you can't control yourself, that's what needs to happen, God says. It's like he knows us or something. Verse 3. A husband should fulfill his marital responsibility to his wife, and likewise, a wife to her husband. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, you can't stop there. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Verse 5, do not deprive one another sexually, except when you agree for a time to devote yourself to prayer. The only time that we are supposed to deprive ourselves in the marital relationship of sexual activity is when both parties agree upon it for a short amount of time to devote yourself to prayer. It is not the tool to use to affect behavior change in a relationship. That is wrong, scripturally speaking. It will damage your relationship. It will hurt your husband or your wife. It says it clearly right there. Your body is hers and her body is yours and there should be this taking place in a relationship, in a marriage relationship. It's just that simple. But it also says even in that relationship, it's a good idea every once in a while to go, you know what, let's just take a break from all that in our minds and our hearts and everything else and let's spend that time together in prayer. You want your sex life to get better with your wife or your husband? Start praying together. Start praying together. Nothing more intimate than praying together. It's why you're scared to do it. You're scared of that level of intimacy. It works in many ways, and it will help in many ways, but maybe that'll be enough to motivate you to do it together. Pray together. See, God created us as sexual beings. He created us as sexual In the beginning, he created them male and female. Okay, okay. Y'all don't know, we don't know Genesis 1? Okay. We gotta go, we gotta long, we gotta be here for a long time. In the beginning, he created them male and female. We could have just been one sex. Have you ever stopped and thought? I mean, God could have made human beings just as one sex, but he didn't. He made us male and female. He made us that way for a reason. So why fast from it? Because as much or more than anything else in our lives, sexual, sexual immorality's consequences burn with flames so hot that they can burn down our lives. Someone else's life. Loved one's lives. Your children's lives. And on and on and on and on. You've seen it. You've experienced it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. When we step outside of the God-ordained way that this is supposed to take place, it hurts us and people we love. Now hear this. God is the God of grace. 
So if you've blown it in this area, and it happens, God is the God of grace, and you can repent, and you can turn to him, and you can be forgiven. You are not damaged forever because you have blown it in this area. You are not. God will forgive you. But this is also true. You still have the consequences of those actions left in your life. So don't, don't, here's what we do. We convince ourselves, well, God will forgive me, so then it's okay. You're right. Eternally, God will forgive you. But you're going to be stuck with the consequences of what happens when we step outside of the boundaries of this in our lives. I've used this illustration with our students many, many times through the years. And I'll ask you the same question. What's worse? What's worse? Someone getting beat up physically? I mean, just somebody just getting worn out, just physically assaulted, just really beat up really bad, or somebody being raped. Which one of the two is worse? See, see, society says it's just a physical act. But that's not true. Someone getting beat up is not the same as someone being raped. If it was just a physical act, it would be the same. But it's not the same. It's not just a physical. It's more than just physical. It is spiritual. It is a spiritual connection that once made is not meant to be broken. In other words, that's an oxymoron. That does not exist. That is an absolute lie. 100%. Casual sex. There's nothing casual about it. It's, it's knowing and being known on a level that really nothing else offers. It goes far beyond just the physical, and it definitely goes far beyond the casual. There's nothing casual about it. Now, this doesn't mean that we, we run and hide from the opposite sex. Okay, if you're, if you're in an unmarried state, it doesn't mean, well, if I can't have this until I'm married, then I have to, like, no. That will cause you to lust beyond all imagination. You don't, you don't, you don't try to do this by, by, by shutting it completely, because then all your minds, it's like if I said, don't think about the color red. No matter what you do, don't think about the color red. No matter what we do for the rest of the service, do not think about the color red. All you can think about was the color red. And that's what happens when you approach these things like that. I can't have it, I can't have it, I can't have it. No, focus on what you can have. Focus on love. Focus on compassion. Engage the opposite sex with love and compassion. Be kind. Experience all the other things that relationships have to offer besides this. Save this for what it was meant to be and when it was meant to be used, how it was meant to be used. Enough of that. Moving on. Fast from recognition. We desire to lose or tame the hunger for fame, justification, or just the mere attention of others. We learn to love, to be unknown, and accept misunderstandings without the loss of our peace, joy, or purpose. Wait a minute. I thought we were supposed to let our light shine, preacher. I thought we had a light, and we were supposed to let our light shine. What do you mean, like, do good things but don't be known about it? Okay, well, that, that's kind of true. Jesus does say that. He says this in Matthew. You are the light of the world, Matthew 5. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory 
to your Father in heaven. Not you, but in your Father in heaven. You see, it says that a city on a hill cannot be hidden. It can't be hidden. Living life for Jesus will shine a light. It will be noticed. But the difference here is this. The one who lights the lamp and lets it shine, he doesn't have to go around promoting that he lit a lamp. He, he doesn't have to put on billboards that the lamp is lit and shining. He, he doesn't have to make a post on social media describing the lamp and how well it's lit and why it's lit and who it was lit by and how bright it is. Everybody can just naturally see a light shining. No one has to go, that's a light shining. We just know it's a light shining because that's what a light does. It shines and it provides light. So, get this straight. So, we're, so we shouldn't talk about Jesus and, and the things he's doing for us and, and the good, good works of a church. Is that what you're saying? We shouldn't talk about it? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. We'll get to celebration next week or maybe the next. We'll get to celebration. Yes, we should celebrate. We should celebrate. But there's a difference in celebrating and self-promoting. There's a difference in those two things. What I'm saying, we have to make sure that we are promoting the celebration of Jesus and praise and worship of him and not self-promoting so we increase the praise and worship of us. Us as in us as an individual person and us as us as a church. Careful that we don't do things so we can talk and be proud of our church instead of Jesus. That's all. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Not that hard. Not that big a deal. What, what, if it, what if this? What if instead of being envious in the church now, I'm talking about in the church, what if being envious of another's successes or accomplishments or possessions, right, or what they have, wh whatever, what if every believer in this church truly started pulling, pulling for, the, for the guy or gal next to them to do well? I mean really, really pulling for them praying for them to do well, celebrating when they do well. I mean, really sought out their benefit and blessing in prayer in their heart, in their actions. What would a church look like? What would a church look like and feel like that instead of, of, of anyone even caring if they were personally were blessed or promoted or recognized, instead of worrying about that, like, how, how, what did I get out of this? When, when am I going to get noticed? When are they going to say, good job to me? What if, what if instead of that, every single person in this church only sought what was good for everyone else around them? The recognition and the promotion and the honoring of others around them. What, what if we just did what Philippians 2 says? That we just do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above ourselves? What if we did that? What would that look like? I don't know because I've never seen it, but I think it would be great. I really think it would. Dallas Willard again, enables us to place our public relations department, fasting from recognition, enables us to place our public relations department entirely in the hands of God, who lit our candles so we could be the light of the world, not so we could hide under a bushel. We allow him to decide when our deeds will be known and when our light will be noticed. And it will be noticed and somehow I deleted in the transferring this to the computer and everything I deleted this quote off of mine is it up here for you no it's not way to go well that's my second favorite president that's Harry S. Truman 
And he's got a great quote. He's probably heard it in an athletic standpoint, from an athletic perspective. It's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't care who gets the credit. It's amazing what can be accomplished when nobody cares who gets the credit. We just want it to be done and done well. It's like this. This is Mark 7. He got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre and Sidon. This is Jesus. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. You couldn't even hide even if you wanted to, Jesus follower. You can't. You're a light shining in the world. We don't have to do that. We don't have to promote to make ourselves feel good. And this is not easy for some of us. It depends on your personality. I'm not saying this is an easy thing. It's not. Okay. Moving right along. Last one. Fast from security. We forsake the security of meeting our needs with what is in our hands. It is a total abandonment to God, a stepping into the dark, darkened abyss in the faith and hope that God will bear us up. God doesn't need our sacrifice. God doesn't need our giving. We need to sacrifice, and we need to give. It is for our benefit and for those around us. Our faith is fed, and it gains force when we see God provide in response to our sacrifice. When we sacrifice for God, our faith is fed by seeing him respond to that sacrifice and he and he will when it comes from the right heart for the right reasons now this isn't fasting from from luxury or excess or gluttony that's not what this one's talking about this one's a little harder than that this is fasting from necessity things we need things that it hurts to give to the lord Mm. you see most of us and i say us we could all fall into this category or have at some point, I'd almost guarantee you. Most Jesus followers in the church today give from their excess, not from their need. Most of us give from our excess. Well, I got this much left over, so ah, God can have that. Never mind, I got 27 subscriptions to 14 different things that I never watch all the time, and I could cancel half of those, never miss it, and give that money. I could, I could skip four meals this coming week and I can give that money see giving out things we need things that it goes "Mm," things you notice that you're giving up it's a sacrifice that's why it's called a sacrifice Jesus said it like this in Luke 2 21 excuse me Luke 21 verse 2 he also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins truly I tell you he said this poor widow has put in more than all the others All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. The amount that you're giving may impress man because it's a big number and you've got a lot to give from. But is it pleasing to the Lord? Is it pleasing to the Lord? Again, I'm not not saying that if you're doing well and have plenty that that's wrong. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that. I think the more that the good guys have and are in control of, the better the world is. Okay? I don't think we're all supposed to go sell our possessions and, 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 and live on the street and, and, and not be in control and helping do any. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is every once in a while, it'd be good for us to give of our time, energy, and efforts in a way that it hurts, that it actually causes us to go, man, 
I noticed that. I gave to a point that I actually noticed it. I felt it. It reminds us of what Jesus did for us. I can tell we're loving this one. We're almost all asleep. Hmm. I'll put it this way. You'll love this one as much as you're loving this already. Instead of buying the next big toy that you just have to have, stop and give that away. Or don't. And then go on with your life going, I don't know why I don't ever feel God. I don't know why God never speaks to me. I don't know why. I, do, I don't know. I'll never do anything God tells me to do, but I don't know why he's not doing what I'm supposed to. I don't know. Well, whatever. Die psychos. Schizophrenic spiritually. Hebrews 13, 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. We're talking about walking pleasing to God. So there it is one more time, and we're done. We want to fast. We want to purposefully choose to put these into practice. How often? Leave it up to God. Every once in a while. More than never. Fasting from others so we can be alone. Fasting from noise so we can be in the quiet and be quiet. We can let God speak for us and speak to us. Fast from food so that we are hungry for righteousness. Fast from excess. We want to be frugal. You have more to give when you're frugal, by the way. Fast from pleasure. We want to be pure. Fast from recognition. Let God shine the light. He'll take care of it. Fast from security. We want to be sacrificial. And that went over about as well as I expected it to. (laughs) Because these things aren't fun. It's like, give me more of the fun, Jesus. Well, Sometimes it hurts. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing a last song, and then we'll go into a time of communion. Maybe during this song, you pray and get ready to receive communion. Communion is for people that have made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. They have repented of their sins, and they have placed their faith in Jesus Christ for the power to forgive those sins and to give the gift of eternal life. If that is you, then please partake in the bread and in the cup today. If that is not you, then please do not. But maybe we need to spend a couple of minutes in prayer preparing to receive what is a very sacred, very serious act to do together. Father, we come to you and we love you and we thank you that you give us the way, God. You give us the lifestyle to live. God, give us give us what we need. I don't even know what to ask for. Give us what we need to be able to, to put into practice what it is you call us to do, God, so that we can actually experience the abundant life that you said and promised that you came to give. That's not just in heaven, God. You say that that is now. That is now and forever. We are to bring the kingdom of heaven to Amen. I invite you to stand.